0: Hello and welcome to the Mersey Waves podcast. I'm Kerry and I'm part of the communications team at Liverpool City Council. We're here today in the reception of Tate Liverpool. It's a lovely sunny Monday afternoon and we're here to talk to three people who've got a very interesting perspective on arts and culture in the city. Tate Liverpool, National Museums Liverpool, the Biennial, the Royal Court, Blue Coat, Liverpool Everyman and Playhouse, FACT, Open Eye Gallery, what do they have in common? Well, they're all much-loved cultural institutions in the city, but there is one other link. They're all run by women. These women play a hugely important role in our cultural scene. They are the ones that ultimately decide the events and exhibitions we see, which in turn keeps Liverpool relevant in the ever-changing and competitive arts industry. But why, in the 21st century, is it still news that women are heading up these renowned organisations? The fact is, it's pretty rare. Latest reports show just six female CEOs run the UK's largest companies, And in the FTSE 100, just 28% of companies have women in executive leadership roles. So why is Liverpool booking the trend when it comes to its cultural organisations? Today, I'm chatting to three of those women in charge.
1: Fatosh Uztek from the Liverpool Biennial. I think 2008 and around 2008 was a very important moment in time for Liverpool. And 10 years in its aftermath, I think we are looking into what has happened, what has changed, what started growing, and what needs replanting and seeding to, to flourish. Director of Tate Liverpool, Helen Legg.
2: I've never felt, or I've rarely felt, that my gender was an issue mm. in terms of me progressing
0: And Laura Pye, Director of National Museums Liverpool.
3: So I think class has probably been a bigger issue for me, and I guess the other thing that I've probably found, you know, I'm dyslexic, and I think disability is probably a bigger
0: barrier than gender. Hi all, and welcome to Mersey Waves podcast. Today we are recording this episode in Tate, Liverpool, a venue which sees nearly half a million people walk through its doors each year. I'm going to start off with you, Helen. Um, You joined Tate Liverpool in June 2018, leaving Bristol, where you were director of Spike Island, which, for anyone who doesn't know, is an international centre for the development of contemporary art and design. So why Liverpool?
2: I think it was... Actually, the job, more than Liverpool, that attracted me, Tate, obviously, if you work in the visual arts in Britain, then Tate is a prestigious organisation to work for, it's full of amazing people, and although I had visited Liverpool a few times in the past to see the biennial mainly, I hadn't really got to know the city, so when I turned up here for the job, um, it was uh, all pretty much completely new for me, but I have to say that now I know the city, I certainly would have come here for the city.
0: Excellent. Laura, I'm going to turn to you now. You also left Bristol in 2018. Yeah. I don't know what was happening. No, nothing Bristol to do in Bristol. <laughs> it's great, sissy
3: Bristol. It was nothing to do with Bristol.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to become the new director of National Museums Liverpool. Um, our museums and galleries were very lucky. They're massively popular in the city and 2017 stroke 18 was one of its busiest ever years with more than three million visitors. Very impressive. Do you feel the pressure of making decisions that mean Liverpool stays relevant and will attract more and more visitors?
3: I certainly feel the pressure of joining National Museums Liverpool after last year. Um, In fact, we were about Thirty thousand visitors short of four million visitors at national museums Liverpool last year wow, so I mean that's some pressure we national museums Liverpool would averagely get about three point four million visitors um there is a degree of pressure on that, but then there's also eight museum you know brilliant museums and galleries in the city that I think and Liverpool as a city is so on the up at the moment in terms of tourism and in terms of people coming into the city that I have every confidence that we'll be over that three million. Will we have the same level as we had last year? No, no, we won't. Um, Terracotta Warriors did amazing things for us at National Museums Liverpool. But but we'll get back there within the next five to six years, I think.
0: Fatosh, you've travelled slightly further afield than Bristol <laughs> to yes. be here. You're originally from Turkey and you've worked in the arts across the world. Do you think the high number of female leaders we have in Liverpool is typical of the city's tendency to do things differently, think differently?
1: Um, Definitely there is a play in how Liverpool positions itself, but I think it is really an exi- exciting moment in time for Liverpool to have all these new voices coming from different backgrounds and different fields of work, connecting in Liverpool and, and actually being very open and collegial. And of course, the, you know, like it is unavoidable to address the fact that there's a lot of female directors at the moment on various institutions and I, I find that quite exciting.
0: And what made you choose to come here to Liverpool?
1: Um, Same as Helen, actually. I love biennials and Liverpool Biennial being the oldest and the largest biennial of UK uh, and, and, and internationally having a high reputation has been a big draw. And uh, I've been also visiting Liverpool since 2010, I think, for the biennials and actually criticising the biennial of what it's doing and what it's not doing. So I have to make sure that I don't do what I have criticised <laughs> <laughs> in the past. But, um, so it's been an interesting experience of being, you know, coming from a different gaze and now being involved to produce the biennial for the city and for the world.
0: So in your view... Are women-led organisations more open to change than those led by men?
2: I, I hate these kinds of questions. Do you think? Yeah, in? because no, I'm, <laughs> no, only because I I don't want to see things in such gendered ways. You know, there are men who are extremely open and women who are extremely closed. But I would say the women I have enjoyed working with have been very good listeners, have been very perceptive, have been very thoughtful about the people in their organisations and have been quite bold and quite open to change. I don't know that that's necessarily down to their gender, it's down to them being really good leaders.
3: I mean, I think, I think organisations that have diversity of any level uh, in terms of their leadership, I think you know diversity of thought is always a good thing. Um, so I think you know, I wouldn't want to see any organisation really that was purely female-led equally I don't want to see them purely male-led but I think diversity is bigger than that as well you know you've got to think about diversity in terms of age and in terms of ethnicity and and disability and all of those things I think if we can broaden one thing the cultural sector's maybe not being as good at as it should have been is is that kind of diversity of leadership particularly Mm -hmm. Um, and I think if we can broaden out diversity of leadership I think you get organisations that just think differently because you've got different people around the table. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And also leadership is changing as well. If you look at the last 10 years of how organisations, especially in the cultural sector, institutions are addressing what they've done and what can they do differently. So, like, today's leaders are also, you know, like leaders that need to continuously assess and understand and be open. And I do agree, you know, like, uh, that it's not about the gender divide of... Uh, if, of something that makes an institution better or not, but actually it's 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 diverse. Uh, nature and also at the same time it's uh, agility to uh, address the needs of change and we are looking into different models of leadership or running organisations today and we see that it's more and more uh, a culture that grows from within Mm -hmm. instead of top down and and perhaps you know like what we have seen that was recently voiced more and more by female leaders of the sector but I don't think it nullifies the male uh, intention no, as
2: and, well, and I mean class is another aspect that we haven't mentioned that is really important to our cultural sector. You mm-hmm. know who who gets to work in our cultural sector will really affect who also visits our cultural sector. So, you know, if you have a leader who can represent perhaps a different class perspective, you might find change happening further down the organisation as well.
0: Would you agree? There are more opportunities for women in the arts more than more than ever before
2: yeah i mean i think everything's open to women across the board and actually women do women tend to do very well in the cultural sector i mean it is particularly the visual arts there are more women in leadership roles than men i think uh, i would say 5 or 10 years ago there was definitely a situation in which there were a lot of women heading up let's say large divisions in big organisations or mid-size organisations but they weren't in the very top jobs and I think that's beginning to change Um, there's probably still a way to go on that but um, certainly at Tate you know we now have a female director in Maria Balshaw Um, of the four venues three of those directors are female and only one male in those roles. The collection directors, uh, one man, one one woman. So it definitely feels to me that that change is happening.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that change has been happening over the last five to 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, so I would never have considered my gender to have been an issue in terms of my career progression. Yeah. I think they're probably the only time I ever felt that. Um, was the first time I attended, there's a meeting within the museum sector called National Museum Directors' Council, which is all of the big national museums and all of the big regionals. Um, and certainly with the nationals, there's 15 national museums in the country, three of them headed by women, which suggests there is still a bit of an issue there. And I think that's the only place where I've ever looked around the room and thought, well, oh, actually, there's more men, in, there's a lot more men in the room than yeah. women. Um, we're such a female-based workforce totally. in lots of ways. So, in in an actual fact, within the museum sector, it's normally the other way around. You're much more used to seeing more women than men. And in regional museums, we, lots of women lead those museums. But at a national museum level, the, we're just starting to break through that. I mean, m- yeah. so there's Maria at Tate. There's one called Dailies at the Imperial War Museum, and, and there's museum. me in National Museums Liverpool, and all of the
2: rest of our national museums are headed by men. But it, I mean, I I don't know how old Di is, but certainly you and Maria and and the three of us in this room, mm. we're a slightly younger generation. Yeah. And I think like you, I've never felt or I've rarely felt that my gender was an issue mm. in terms of me progressing. Um, there have been moments, but I, I think a younger generation doesn't expect to find the problems that an older generation probably faced on a really regular basis.
1: No, absolutely. And I think if I could add to that, it's also about I never thought the same way that I was a woman, you know, like uh, that was affecting my my progress in my life or in my profession. But the other thing that uh, recently struck me was a couple of years ago, uh, I was referred to as woman of color, which I also never associated myself with or aligned myself as, you know, a woman of color or, you know, uh British or not. And I think that's also an important thing that we're seeing now more and more with appointments of of various different uh, directors. It can be male or female, that there's also this issue of diversity is being addressed. But I think one thing that's very important is again doing it on the lines of people's uh, approaches to their professions and, and, and their workforce. Instead of any other you know um, references that need to be ticked through in order to validify those decisions
0: so is it all of your experiences that you haven't you haven't felt that glass ceiling stopping you from 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 progressing in your careers that you feel it's been different for you i
3: think i would say I would say that Gender hasn't been the biggest barrier to my progression within the cultural sector. So I would say my class um, is probably a bigger issue. And, you know, I I was born here in Liverpool, um, but I have lost a lot of my accent, probably deliberately. Because when you work down south and you have a very strong Scouse accent, there's a real issue around class you haven't that. lost
2: that much of your
0: accent
3: <laughs> <laughs> my brother thinks I have um, so I think class has probably been a bigger issue for me and I guess the other thing that I've probably found you know I'm dyslexic and I think disability is probably a bigger barrier than gender and I, I, actually I'm not sure that it's a bigger barrier I'm not sure that's fair but I think probably I said to someone the other day I knew I was dyslexic when I was seven and I probably didn't say it out loud until I was 35 and I think there's something about role modeling and that you know I talk about being dyslexic now quite a lot because I feel I have a responsibility to tell other people that it's possible mm. but I think we haven't been as open. I hid that part of who I am because I felt I had to to progress
0: Yeah.
3: so yeah. I think they're the bigger barriers for me. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think the bigger barrier for me was uh, because I came to UK 13 years ago and um, didn't have a scene or didn't know anyone. And so I was continuing to do what I was doing in Turkey or in Europe, but it took me a time to actually really uh, get to know and also uh, get to realize my projects in the UK. I think it took me five years to do my first show in the UK while I was already involved in doing many things elsewhere. Uh, many projects etc so but i don't think i ever felt a glass bore- barrier in any sense because i've been independent until very recently that always pursuing my own projects so there wasn't you know the the perhaps the barriers were like funding and you know like that you have to make ends meet in order to keep you know doing what you do but never about yeah my gender or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. any background yeah
0: what could other sectors learn from the arts and culture sector in this respect, though? I mean, I suppose as a
3: sector, we probably are more <coughs> open, open to, to difference, and because as a sector, we we celebrate difference quite a lot, and we talk a lot about, and we've been very focused, certainly as a as a museum sector, on audience. And diversity of audience and we know that the best way to diversify your audience is to diversify your staff that if people see people who look like them they feel that that's a place for them to be um so I guess because we have that real direct connection with the communities that we are here to serve and because ultimately we need them to come through our front door (laughs) um I guess we've been much more open and maybe a bit more forward-thinking than I don't know some other industries so I guess there's there's opportunity there, you can learn about I was listening to someone talk the other day, works in advertising and talking about how until quite recently you didn't see, you know, diversity through adverts because people who created adverts were white middle class and therefore they portrayed families as white middle class to sell their stuff to. And now that they've diversified that, they see it increasing their business. Mm-hmm. Um
2: so I think I think most businesses are catching on to that now. Yeah. I mean, I think some businesses are way ahead of the cultural Mm. sector. I think what the cultural sector is very good at and is not afraid of, which some other fields are, is that we have a culture of criticism. So we have a culture in which projects are reviewed, are discussed, are debated, and people... um, actively actively seek that kind of feedback and I think when it comes to questions of d- diversity there's a very very loud and active discussion going on about diversity in relation to the cultural field within our sector people are very engaged with it and whilst I wouldn't say that we got everything right or had moved swiftly enough I would say that people are trying to make change happen and I and, and I would say that often that discussion is quite nuanced and you get a broad range of different perspectives about what diversity might look like what the pros and cons of it are how it's done you know are we talking about representation or uh, inclusion or both or something else entirely so I think um, it's not a, a done and settled thing. It's a work in progress. And that feels positive Mm -hmm. to me, even though it's difficult to deal with.
0: How would you describe the arts and cultural scene right now?
2: In Liverpool or... In in Liverpool. Internationally.
0: Well, it feels like we're still in a
2: period of transition because we have got a lot of new um, directors of a lot of the big organisations. I mean, FACT as well has a new director... um, And that's just thinking about museums and visual arts, you know, um, the theatres as well are going through change. So Mm. I think that's exciting to see, you know, we we all meet as as the cultural sector in Liverpool meets together and we talk about what we're doing and where we're heading and what our priorities are um, and what issues we're facing. And I think it's really exciting to see all of those people developing their plans and thinking about the future.
0: Laura,
3: I mean, I, I think the cultural sector in the city is thriving as well at the moment. There's, there's so many great things going on. I mean, I I miss more stuff that happens than I actually get to go to <laughs> these days because there's just so much going on. Um, so I, I, I think it's an exciting place to be i think there's lots of energy in the city at the moment yeah. culturally and there's lots of exciting things happening in terms of longer term plans like helen mentioned but also just in terms of there's some really great programme in the city at the moment there's some really great exhibitions great events great theatre great music there's really good cultural provision at the moment
1: absolutely and I think that's also kind of part of that you know the cycle of natural progressual change I think 2008 and around 2008 was a very important moment in time for Liverpool and 10 years in its aftermath I think we are looking into what has happened what has changed what started growing and what needs replanting and seeding to to flourish because I think we are on an interesting brink in Liverpool where I definitely agree uh, with Laura and Helen that there's so much happening and there's definitely a new form of energy that you can sense in the city and that's, I think, beyond the cultural sector, also in the business sector or in other fields. However, it's also an important moment in time that whatever we s- plant, whatever we can start thinking forward is going to flourish in its proceedings and I think it's very it's in a very important moment in time where Liverpool can go bit to mainstream and become you know a a generic you know capital in the world or can stay very unique but with also things that that are specific to its own nature and and its own offerings Uh, and I think that's a very very interesting moment sorry no i was just going to say something that i think is very special
2: here is that it feels as though the public here really loves and wants culture so i remember when the giants came to liverpool i was in a hotel in london having my breakfast and the breakfast news you know they were out on the streets in liverpool and they got the microphone and they approached a woman in the street and said well, you know, what do you think at this time of austerity that there's this project going on, which has cost however many millions? And it was clearly set up as a, you know, let's hear this woman grumble about how terrible it is that all of this money's being spent on culture. And the woman turned around to the reporter and said, well, I think it's wonderful that this is happening in Liverpool. It brings great joy to the people here. And I'm I'm looking forward to this afternoon. And I just... It was such a surprise to hear that response because the question wasn't set up in that way. And I just thought how fantastic that the people of this city love to be part of this. It was it was really fantastic.
0: And stuck oh, in your It brain. made my morning.
3: <laughs> I think it is, isn't it? Like, you know, if you just look at the River of Light that we had the other mm-hmm. week and you know, we had River of Light on in November. Uh, You know, it's cold, it's wet, it was fairly miserable for most of that week. And you had, what, 10, you know, art installations of light And on Tuesday night, Albert Dock was as busy as it would be in the summer with hundreds of people, families Mm -hmm. who had come out after work and after school to walk around the city in the cold. To look at great, amazing light installations. I mean, not many cities
2: would get that. No, it's really. pretty yeah. special.
3: It, it, it's special that the, that our audiences are so engaged.
2: Yeah, and I think we've had this we've had this um, a constant conversation about the arts being elitist. And again, whilst I don't think the arts is you know perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I think people here don't like to be told what to think. And I think that woman <laughs> on the news, she knew she was being set up for a yeah. particular kind of question. She wasn't going to play ball. And she got her own um, ideas about what was happening that afternoon and her own point of view. And I, you definitely get that spirit in this city that people are going to engage because they enjoy it. And no one's going to tell them that they shouldn't do it.
0: Sort of independent thinkers. Very much so. (laughs) (laughs) causes us some challenges some of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we should be proud of the number of women heading up cultural institutions in the city. Um, We've got Claire McColgan, Director Mm. of Culture Liverpool, we've got all of you, we've got, as you mentioned, the new boss at Fact. the Royal Liverpool Film, Artistic Planning Director, Sandra Parr, Open Eye Gallery, Sarah Fisher, Royal Court, Gillian Miller, um, Gemma Bodnitz at the Everyman and Playhouse. The list goes on and on. Um, but it's not job done for Liverpool, is it? There's still more we can do on this. Touching upon what you said earlier, it's not necessarily just women, it's having all those diverse... Yeah,
3: yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think there's more we can do in terms of Diversity of workforce within the cultural sector, Um, and I think all of those organisations. I mean, you know, it's interesting because other than other than Michael at the Phil and Gordon at at Unity, they're kind of outnumbered in terms of women around Brian at Brian at Bluecoat, I suppose. (laughs) Um, They are very much outnumbered by a lot of women who have come into one of those organisations. But I think as a sector, we have to be committed to diversifying the opportunities for people to work in our sector and that diversity is probably more prevalent in terms of of race and in terms of class and in terms of disability and I think they're the ones we need to focus on for me. Yeah same.
1: And I think the job is never done. If it is done then you start shrinking. You know I think growth is about constantly assessing what you have done and you know celebrating what you've achieved but also you know enabling yourself to think further what else can be done. And I think societies do only foster in, you know, when they keep learning and when they keep exploring and, and assessing what they need and what can what can happen.
0: Helen? Hmm. I
2: I mean I, I completely agreed with what Laura got to say about diversification and I you know, I agree with Fatosh as well. I I suppose the the slight difference I would say is that I'm becoming sceptical of Conversations that are constantly pitched towards growth, mm-hmm. I think you don't always have to be bigger, you can be better so and, and actually, I think a lot of the work that the cultural leaders in the city are doing is how do we do more with less? how do we um, improve the improve the standards of what we do improve the quality of what we do take it to more people um, I think I think growth is something that was the focus of the last decade, mm-hmm. probably. Mm. We're already all pretty big, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Time to focus on quality. Quality Quality. and yeah. Growing audience, maybe more than growing size of organization. Yeah.
0: What have we got to look forward to coming up next year then? A lot.
3: (laughs) Or biennials next year. (laughs) So that's exciting always. you are gonna be busy.
1: Yeah, we're already busy, but also it's so exciting to be with Laura and Helen now, and as you know, mentioned, all the other organizations we they're our partner institutions, so we're working together towards an incredible biennial to take place in the city, with many moments to celebrate, from opening weekend to Liverpool weekend to, you know, like a, a co- international conference weekend, and there's a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I mean, we've got loads of stuff
3: coming on National Museums Liverpool. Um, if I'm going to pick two... Uh, We've got a great exhibition coming into World Museum next year called AI, uh, which is coming from the Barbican and explores uh, the development of AI and what it's used for and what it can be used for and some of the ethical issues around that, which I think will be fantastic in World Museum next year. Um, And at roughly the same time, we've got a great exhibition at Walker, uh, the Walker Art Gallery, which is a photographic exhibition by uh, Linda McCartney. So it's a retrospective of Linda McCartney's work really really talented photographer did some really lovely stuff including some really lovely stuff around liverpool so they're the two big ones for us there's a whole range of other stuff going on at other venues as well next year
2: yeah and same for us we've got a lot coming up over the next year or two i guess the next big thing is the astor gates who is an african-american artist very very um, important and influential contemporary artist who's making his first uk show here, which opens in mid-December so it's our Christmas show um, running through to spring and then after that we're going to be um, showing Don McCullin, a photojournalist who covered pretty much every conflict of the last 50, 60 even, yeah, probably 60 years or so um, and he, when we started talking to him about bringing the show here, it was a show that he'd actually made for Tate Britain he told us that he spent a lot of time in Liverpool as a young man and took a lot of photographs here that he's never shown so I'm actually going to see him next week to look at prints that he's made from his archives of Liverpool for the first time Um, and we're going to make a selection of those and include them in the exhibition so I think it might be a reminder to some people who've lived here for a long time of how Liverpool used to look
0: That all sounds super exciting can't wait for next year um, just leaves me to say thank you so much for taking part in the podcast today. Long may Liverpool's domination by women in the arts and cultural <laughs> sector continue. You're all delivering fantastic <laughs> stuff. Um, and, I, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do next year. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you very
3: much.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember to like, rate and subscribe. And if you have any ideas about future podcasts, please email... Hello at merseywaves.co.uk